You're listening to Life in Our Skin, a podcast created for women in the middle. Here, we discuss unique perspectives of our American experience living between the white and black communities. I'm Lisa Harris. And I'm Anahita Champion. Join us as we share life in our skin, raw and unedited. Welcome back, our dear friends. Um, this is your host, Anahita, alongside my co-host, Lisa. Hello, everybody. Hey, you, girl. Hey, All right. Nana. Last time we talked about some fun girl chat, and I really hope you enjoyed it because we sure as hell did. Um, not to <laughs> say that we don't love our own episodes, but there are some that are just like extra fun. Um, and we talked about interracial dating, and we're continuing the conversation with all things identity, ethnicity, race, and all that. Uh, Lisa, today you and I are diving into something that we have originally had many conversations about. I would say it's one of the most impactful conversations that we have had and have continued to have since our original girl, girl calls several years ago through our Zoom calls, our online events, and then we carried those through Clubhouse. And we're talking about how we identify. We're talking about the phrase women of color. And we're going to dive into all things check the box. Oh, yes. This is a big one. To our listeners out there, this is a really big one for us and for most people that identify not in the white community. So Really, it's all of our black, brown brothers and sisters, but most people have an internal conflict and really struggle with their identity when they have to check the race box. And you all know it's the race box that is on all formal federal doc documents, you know, all sorts of applications whether it's schooling or other places where they're trying to identify your race from a demographics perspective. But it has a huge impact, not just on how we see ourselves, but how others see us. And also, you know, where does that information go? And, and you know, how does it support different initiatives um, in identifying our community? So it is personal, it's really personal. And we want to unravel a little bit of this conversation with you today and how it relates to Anahita and I. And as you'll see in the next year, we'll open this conversation and question for many, many women in our community who find themselves between the white and black community. But today we are gonna talk about how our identity is formed by these labels labels there's that word we're not talking prada chanel gucci coach none of that <laughs> labels of ourselves and um it was what was really interesting was on one of the zoom calls we had was we asked this question we talked about this with the gals so we'll dive into that in a moment but thinking back to the first time I was really presented with a form, I think it was sometime in middle school, I was either 12, 14, something like that. And we were at the dinner table and um, 
I was filling out this form for school and it had, yeah. I stumbled across the line that says, check the box that applies race. And you know, we have four or five options, white, African-American, Pacific Islander, yada, yada, other. And I just looked at them because it said the phrase, but then it had in parentheses, a couple of, you know, details that fall within each of those races. And that was the first time I was ever faced with, where do I fit? Where's mine? Where's my representation? Right. And I asked my family, I was like, what should I, what should I check? And they said, we checked the white box. And I didn't like the way I felt. That was the very first time I remember thinking, oh, I don't like this. I didn't like the way it made me feel inside because I was like, well, clearly my skin isn't dark, but there are darker Iranians who are in the south of the country and we for sure would not check the white box. But alas, it's not about the color of your skin apparently. Well, so I heard. So I had to check the white box. Yeah. Uh. Gosh, this topic, it is so, it stirs up so much, stirs up so much. What about you? Okay, so, you know, you were saying, when was the first time? The first time for me that I can recall was Iowa testing. And so when I was in school in the 1980s, we had Iowa testing. I don't know the teachers out there probably can tell us, and I don't know if it was a Wisconsin thing, but we did these Iowa testing and the first, they were like every other year. And I think the first time I took it was in the first grade. And so that was like 1981, 1980. And I remember having to check the race box. And I remember asking my dad, and this is so funny too. And my dad is probably going to laugh when he hears this. But back then in the 80s, my dad told me, and I can probably ask him after this podcast why. But at that time, he told me, Lisa girl, you are your father's daughter. You are the blood of your father. And he is mostly Caucasian with indigenous roots, but he said, you check the white box. So I checked the white box. So you and I, when we were little, we were both checking the white box folks. Wow. Both Anakita I... and I are clearly brown women and we were checking the white box. I am and baffled. I really? <laughs> really? You checked the white box? I would have never guessed. Yeah, I checked the white box. And so, when you think about the white box, now here I have a family of three sisters and I can't tell you specifically, but I feel like we've had the conversation over the years that I think when we were all at some point in our youth, so I can't say if it was grade school or middle school or high school, and I'm sure I'm gonna ask them after this podcast, but I believe we have all checked different boxes As throughout sisters. the years, like individually over time, and also just completely 
as sisters checking different boxes. So we are like 100% full-blooded sisters and we are on government, school, all sorts of formal documents throughout our lives as different races. I'm sure there was a year I was white and my sister was native or my other sister was Asian or something. I bet you, I bet a million bucks. There were years we were different races. Oh my gosh. I'm like, my jaw is dropped. I guess I would have never looking at you. You have some, you know, they're not very bold, but Asian features, right? You're Pacific Islander. Your, 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 your mother's side is from the Philippines. And yeah. I would have never guessed that you would check the white box, which is interesting because of what you were told in the 80s as a child first grade you had to check that in first grade yeah in our in our yeah our our formalized standard tests yes I wish I could think of what the name now it's like afterwards I'm going to be like googling and calling my family and everything but the funny thing too we'll talk about this is at the time my dad said check the white box and of course I'm going to do whatever my dad said right yeah but later on in my adult life he said something different so how do you like that for you know, wow. mixed messages, but I, I can imagine the times changed over the years, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the pride of what we are changed over the years and the world around us just changed. So I think, I don't know. You I'll know what? You. you just said something that made me remember that form that I was filling out at the dinner table. Um, this was 1999. No, it was 1998. And I was in like seventh or eighth grade because the year always was like the year, the year, the year of the calendar year was the grade I was in. So 1998, yes, I was in eighth grade. Too. It was not funny. Um, we were filling out documents for our citizenship. Oh, sure. So in that particular mindset, it was like the American dream. We were living it out. Um, we moved, we, we are immigrants. We we're finally able to get our citizenship and we checked the white box because in that it had different parts of the world included. And, and part of that also stated Middle East. Yeah. Okay. Which is a whole I can remember. different phrase at this point. So I checked that box now. Well, well, just wait one minute. One thing that was interesting too, is that um, when we talk about checking the white box, and this is probably not a conversation for today, but, um, oh, why am I losing my thought right now? One of the things that I remember is even when I applied to college, I got into the University of Wisconsin-Madison with a white box checked. I came in as a white student because up until probably after I got married, I did not really identify it was mostly back then I identified, I don't even know what I identified. I literally, like my mom was Filipino. Like that's how I identified. Like I'm just laughing a little bit because I'm like, well, you can just imagine the Dean of the college walking around greeting campuses and he has a roster of names and the box they checked looking for Elisa who identifies as white and he walks right past you. Like, it's, <laughs> like where does this damn information go? What does this well, mean? And I have a white last name. It's an Anglo. My my maiden name is Gedney, which is English based or something. And, you know, I'm Lisa Gedney and I checked the white box in college. 
Anyways, wow. so crazy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit of that. I know we could go deep into this. <laughs> Four, five, six years of this conversation, and I just now realized you checked the white box, um, which is very interesting. And you did too. And I did too, because that's what we were told. That's what we were told. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about history, some facts, and things like that. Yeah. So the definition of the Caucasian race, which is an outdated term, as many of us know. Um, I'm reading some different resources. Some of these are Wikipedia folks. I will just state that, but just to kind of have some things to share. It refers to people's origins from Europe, right? And certain parts of the Western Asia, Southern Asia, yeah. and yeah. Northern Africa. How mm -hmm. in the double H-E double hockey sticks does that all count as white? White people in general is obviously specifically for like American English. Now, mm. Here's a little bit more information. The Caucasian race itself was historically regarded as a biological taxon, which depends on the historical race and the classifications that it was being used and referenced. And it includes, then included, I guess, ancient yeah. and modern populations from what I just said, Central Asia, South Asia, Africa, Horn of Africa. This was originally, because it's like, I'm always like, well, who the hell created this? Who was in charge of this disaster? Who decided what and when who and how? got to dictate this? Well, guess what? Well, we know. <laughs> Introduced from the, from the 1780s. So in my mind, I'm like, that's not that long ago. By yeah. members of the Gotengen School of History. Hope I didn't botch that. Mm, that's a um, tough one. And the term denoted three major races of humankind. The Caucasoid, Mongoloid, and the Negroid. Three. So it started out as three. And then they're like, well, let's divide it into like, let's let's drop that down, like who's and where. So at some point, when I'm, and my sister has combated me on this because I put something on Facebook like a two years ago. And this six-year-old um, Iranian man in our community, you know, was like, I was like, I don't identify as a white. This is just as, this is weird. I'm undoing things I've learned. He's like, well, by definition, Caucasian. And then my sister backs it up and I'm like, but do you believe that? Like, why is that? Why is that? Why do we have to go by that? That needs to be redefined. That's from like, like, who said that. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's interesting here is this 1780s version, which we're going to talk a little bit about um, people of color and women of color in a minute. But when you look at this, even what you're sharing from a Caucasian perspective in the 1780s, that is three groups. So if you were, if this was the 1780s, like where are you in the Mongoloid? <laughs> Who are you in the 1780s? <laughs> in the 1780s, okay, but it said Caucasoid. And apparently, because now people are trying to, and I, and I very strongly recommend listeners of this, moving forward to try to drop the term Middle East. Middle of mother effing where? <laughs> like that was a very European um, of creation. Middle of where? Yeah. It's Southwest Asian. Yeah. If and I love for Filipinos. I mean, if you're going to be specific about the country, Filipinos, um, but I do really love Pacific Islander because that, I mean, you know, we fall under the collective umbrella as Asian, but Pacific Islander is very specific because yeah. we are island people. Um, the Filipinos are island people. Yeah. And I think that is a beautiful identification for, for, them. for them. But 
It's important to have this conversation though, because the origin is where a lot of people reference and it's like, but look at how dated a lot of things Mm -hmm. are and how it doesn't apply. And as you think about like how diverse the world will be in the next 20 to 30 years for our children and their grandchildren, none of this is going to apply. It's going to be so beautifully mixed. So yeah, um, yeah, we fell under the Caucasoid because it was Western and Central and South Asia. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess, I don't know. South Asia? I don't know. Am I, am I Caucasoid too? I must, I don't know. Y'all I don't know. Checking Anyways. Anyhow. You know, <laughs> it's just crazy, right? So one of the things that we wanted to talk about too today, as it relates to check the box and our identity, is this was all before the world decided really talking about people of color or women of color identifying um, collectives of group in that category or labels or however we want to say it right so this was before that Um, and so we're going to get to a little bit of how and why we identify ourselves the way we do today but we wanted to do a little bit of background on people of color in general. Like where did that term come from? So Anahita shared a little bit about the Caucasian race and what does that mean? Now here we are identifying people of color and who really are people of color, okay? So now we know historically from the 1780s about the Caucasian race. And when you go and look into the dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary, for the term people of color that originated roughly about the same time as you know this historical reference of caucasian people so i'm sure there's a lot of conversations and documents and identification as people were immigrating so they probably needed to start to identify people in certain ways that would be an interesting research project to do but the people of color term originated in the 1796, but they really didn't start referencing it until the 1900s. And it was in reference to the varied levels of black blood an individual had. So people of color was originally in reference to black individuals. So I'm going to read- Because if you think about the 1960s and and the 50s and you know, everything was segregated. Yeah. Whites or colored. So you and I would go in the whites bathroom and my now husband would say, I'm going to go in the blacks. Yeah. Colored, colored, I should colored. say. Back, wow. And back then that, that would be, if it was only black and white, we would be checking the box of white be, according to this definition and according to the definition you shared about Caucasian race. So we did not have any varied levels of black blood. Black blood. So we would not be considered, considered a person of color. Wow. Wow. Okay. And then- um, What else you got? <laughs> well, I was gonna share this little newspaper clipping from the Baltimore Afro American newspaper from the 1912. It's just an interesting um, quote of how they're identifying. So quote, the statutes of Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi, Northern Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas assert 
that a person of color is one who is descendant from a Negro to the third generation, inclusive, though one ancestor in generation may have been white. So according to the law of Alabama, one is a person of color who has had any Negro blood in their ancestry for five generations. Five? In Arkansas, persons of color include all who have a visible and distinct admixture of African blood. Thus, it would seem that a Negro in one state is not always a Negro in another. Wow. Five generations, five generations. So that would then be Denami, Roya, and Roya's kids, Roya's grandkids, and then Roya's great-grandkids. I would not fall under any of those categories. Back in the 1900s, yes. Back in the 1900s. Mixed babies with African descent. Wow, that is interesting. So that for us, it doesn't even, we are not even included in this original definition Mm -hmm. because neither of us, well, it is interesting because there's some similarities to this verbiage that exists within the indigenous community. Um, And that might be worth doing some research on because I do. I was thinking that. Yeah. um, From, you know, being tribal members and how, um, how you can identify as native um, from a formal perspective, there is some interesting verbiage that is similar to this. Um, Oh, and I can't, I wonder where my little sticky is. I have a little sticky that says the exact amount of native blood I have. That would be Um, really fun because when we were on our call and we had the Life in Our Skin event and one of our panelists, (laughs) you know, addressed her her identification with BIPOC and women of color. Yeah. She does not, she goes by indigenous. Yeah. And so that is going to be our final conversation here this afternoon is first, before we talk about that, we wanted to just add the women's spin onto this a little bit. So for, you know, in the recent history, we started using more BIPOC and people of color. Um, So I wanted to go back and look at women of color as a distinction, as a part of people of color. When did that come about? And that came about in the 1980s and it was a term that was originally intended for Black women. It came about at a 1977 National Women's Conference. And this National Women's Conference was originally created by Black women for Black women, but they wanted to expand and extend the outreach. And at that time, they included more minority women. So it initially was intended for Black women, which makes sense as it relates to people of color, to women of color. But then over time, it did kind of emerge and extend into more of a multicultural um, perspective and more ethnic groups. So over time, wow. it gradually started including other minority women. So that article... The that is so fascinating. Look at us with all this like fun. This is really, this is really intriguing. For, so the early 1900s, the article that you shared was published. The 1980s and such, the term um, POC and WOC really kind of took a different spin. Now to include minority women in WOC is very interesting if some people are checking the white box because how can you be a minority but still be in the white box race? It's very complex. 
Um, yeah, it's crazy. I feel like my mind is blown. Well, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about today though. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, we're like fast forwarding through like three, 400 years apparently of, of history here, but well, that's how our mind worked, you guys. We were t- thinking about us and what did we do? And then well, where did that come from? And let's go research that. Oh my gosh, that's why I did it. You know, I mean, it kind of is like popcorn, but that's how our mind was like trying to connect all the dots to all this like internal like struggle and identity, like who are we, what, you, all that stuff. So well, yeah, it, yeah, it seems crazy, but it makes sense. It makes sense because now you're realizing, oh, that's why I felt that way. Or no, that never quite felt right. I mean, that's why you have like, I'm trying to fit in on all these different scenarios growing up, middle school, college, high school, into my 30s. So yeah. at 31 years old, it I was then brought with the term woman of color. I may have been through our conversation. Well, you and I use the word women in the middle. That's what we say quite often. For us, yeah. For us. Yeah. And maybe others can relate to that. How do you, Lisa, and I'll share this too, identify and do you consider yourself as a woman of color, WOC? Well, I originally consider myself a minority because that's what people were using at the time. And I would say probably in my late 20s, I started, like I said, after marriage, identifying as being a woman who is brown. Um, And so I started understanding a lot more what that meant. And at the time, people were using the term minority. So I'd say in my 20s and 30s, that was pretty much how I identified myself as. And then I would tell you my mother's Filipino. And then in the most recent years, I would say, you know, the last five, eight or five years, people started started talking more about people of color and even more so really in the last three years, I would say. But I even remember being on a BIPOC small business panel discussion and BIPOC, I know that's how they were identifying me. And I know that's how the world probably sees me, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. And I, and I didn't, I went first, I was wondering, is it, was there a shame feeling? Was there like, I didn't want to be associated? Like, what was that feeling? And I couldn't figure out really what it was, but being a person who's multiracial, I felt like I was just like mixed up in all these like labels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did start identifying myself as a woman of color because everybody else kind of was, mm-hmm. either my peers or the white community, like they were lumping me in there. And I'm also like not a white person. So I am a woman of color, but then every time I would say it or write it, I felt like uncomfortable. Yes. Oh my God. And so I'm at the point now where if others want to identify me as that, I'm okay. But I identify myself very specifically calling out being multiracial and identifying the specific races that make up the majority of who I am. So I will say to most people, I am multiracial, Filipino, indigenous, and white. It's very, very specific. It is no longer as as easy as checking the white box. What box do you check today? Um, Typically, well, nowadays I can check more than one, most times. So I usually check um, 
Pacific Island Islander and um, Native American or indigenous. I usually don't even check white anymore. Unless you have to, because there's like three or four yeah. boxes. But I usually check multiple boxes, two or three. On some forms, they will say check check more than what applies. So I I went, so on that. Um, so I reluctantly had to check the white box on our, on our citizenship forms, but it was, I think it was the next form thereafter. I checked other and I wrote Iranian. Yeah. I think okay. because, you know, I wanted to just be the rebel and not much has changed. And uh, today I have a, I, I feel more confident with identifying as a woman of color, but in the last three years, more so the last two to like specifically two to three and you and I have chatted about this, I've had a very weird relationship with feeling like it's okay for me to identify as a woman of color because I didn't want to offend people that strongly fell into that category mm -hmm. that really adopted that and really felt yeah. like it was meant for them. Um, but I also felt like I was not, did not, I did not cover remotely who I am Um to check the white box. So I use the term minority quite a bit. And then I got mad at the word minority. And I was yeah. like, why are we using minority? The world is shifting greatly. Why can't this hopefully soon become the majority? And maybe in my forward thinking teenage years, I've already manifested that. But to this day, I am when it is available, I do not check the white box. I check other and I write in Iranian. And for the very first time ever in my life, I checked the Asian box maybe six months ago because Southwest Asia, South Asian was in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so damn confused. A 37 year old girl woman going like, what box do I check? Yeah. But I confidently can, can say, I will, I will always say I'm Iranian or Iranian American. Yeah. The hyphenation thing was a journey in of itself. Um, and, um, I just completed a course specifically for women of color and I have never felt so seen in my life. So I, to this day will now say women of color also use minority, but I specifically say Iranian American. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I know one thing, one thing is for sure certain is this is something that ha we have carried since we were little girls up until now, still trying to discover who we are. And so for those in our white community or our black community that have always strongly identified as being African-American, we really ask you to open your minds. This is an identity piece that internally we've struggled with for over 30 or 40 years. And it, it really does impact how we show up, how we see ourselves and really how others see us. So we invite you to continue this conversation, even in your groups, because we know based on the conversations we've already had online, there are biracial women that have struggled with being called women of color. There are indigenous women. There are women from all over all sectors that fall in the middle that struggle and identify differently with this term. And so you would be surprised. You may have a very close biracial um, friend who is black mixed with other races who may not identify with being BIPOC. Um, yes. So don't make any assumptions because Anahit and I used to check the white box. So we just invite <laughs> you to open your mind 
and um, ask, listen, ask questions. And this is what this podcast is all about, is to open your mind and open your hearts to women that find themselves in between the black and white community. And we are excited and thrilled to be sharing more topics and more guests with you in the coming year. So any last thoughts you have for our guests, Anahita? I appreciate this conversation with you. I'm always learning about you, but I hope that somebody listening took something away, whether if it was an aha moment, something that they can relate to, something that felt like you feel seen and heard, but more importantly, let's open that conversation up to others as well. So please, my friends, uh, will you share this episode? Will you give us a little thumbs up that you heard us? And um, this concludes our 10th episode of life in our skin and as we head into 2022 we have a lot more coming we touched on big topics and we're diving deeper so thank you for your time as always my sweet friend and we'll thank see you, you all next time we'll see you next year in 2022 that's right bye, bye.